Open up that crystal Pepsi and get comfortable. This is Dope Nostalgia. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Dope Nostalgia, and I'm your host, Naomi. This is episode 70, and it's a big deal. It's a really big deal to me because this is one of the biggest Canadian superstars, and she's such a huge influence on so many artists. Um, big, big deal here in Canada, especially. Biff Naked is on the show today, and oh man, she's such a gem. I absolutely adore her. And I think you guys will too. So she'll be on the show shortly. Let's do a little bit of review. Also, at the end of the show, we're going to tell you the phone number where you can give us a call and leave us a voicemail and tell us all about what's going on with you guys and uh, some of the memories and some of the things you want to see on the show, things that take you back to the 90s. So make sure you give us a call or an email or, you know, hit us up on social media. All that info right at the end of the show. And now here's some news. Hot off the presses, you gotta adjust those rabbit ears. You got that antenna pulled up? It's time for some dope nostalgia news. I once again want to thank Jessica at Printer's Ale in Georgia, USA, for sending me uh, samples of the Donnie Wahlberg beer. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg is the talented Wahlberg. It is a double New England IPA, and we're going to be sampling some of it for our social media. As soon as I can get together with my good friend, James P. White, who's going to be drinking it with me, we're just waiting until we are both kind of like vaccinated and things kind of calm down because we have a really bad COVID case number here in my town. So we want to make sure that we're doing everything safely for you. And then it's going to be so much fun when we have a drink together. Anyway, some more news for you guys. There's a very cool service online right now called Cameo. You might have heard of it. Um, Celebrities are recording very personalized messages for friends, family members, you name it. All you have to do is cough up the money and they'll make you a nice video to share with friends. Anyway, so lots of celebrities are doing this right now, especially during the pandemic. Um, Some have a good, really, you know, easy to pay for price range. Some are a little bit more expensive. Now, this one that just went on Cameo this week John Bon Jovi is charging $5,000 for a cameo. But wait, there's a good reason. All the money is going to charity. 100% of the proceeds will support the Roots Fund, which is a nonprofit organization. So check that out if you want a message from John Bon Jovi. He's ready to do it for you, as well as many, many other celebrities. And a lot of them are going towards charity. Wikipedia Moments. Biff Naked is a celebrated and notorious performer in music, TV, film, and dance, and a tireless advocate and humanitarian. Orphaned in India, emancipated by punk rock, and empowered by surviving breast cancer, kidney failure, heart surgery, divorce, and surviving as a woman in the entertainment industry for 25 years, Biff has transcended any and all obstacles placed in her path to become one of the world's most unique, recognizable, and beloved icons. It is because Biff is such a tremendous performer and musician that she is able to seamlessly and successfully explore and record other mediums, like writing, painting, choreography, and of course, other genres of music. When asked about what her favorite pastimes are, she only has one answer, living loudly. In 2016, her memoirs titled I Biffacus were published by HarperCollins, and Biff enshrouded her book readings into a three-hour stage show, Biff Naked Songs and Stories, toured nationally across Canada three different times, selling out in every city. After her performances, Biff spent hours selling and signing her books for the audiences. Biff continues to perform and do book readings from her memoir, which is a Canadian bestseller. When asked about her famous optimism, Biff shares that she believes in everyone's ability to move forward, taking care of each other and getting stronger together. Remarkably, Biff recorded a full-length studio record, The Promise, a candid look at her journey through breast cancer and an album Biff Naked made while in chemo and radiation treatments. Biff continues to advocate for other patients, though she is now officially a cancer survivor. Since that time, she has remained committed to her relentless schedule, including having proudly sat in the City of Vancouver's Women's Advisory Committee, volunteering weekly with vulnerable people who ask for her and writing a blog for the Huffington Post. Biff Naked was a contributing writer to the Globe and Mail's health columns and has her poetry read and published frequently. Biff's work as a public speaker has taken her to conferences centered around a wide variety of topics, including women's empowerment, wellness, social justice, anti-poverty activism, and navigating cancer. 
Biff has released her first single, Jim, from her much-anticipated brand-new studio album, her 11th, called Champion, which will be released this year. The video for Jim is, according to Biff, her favorite due to all the punching of the villain, Jim. And it was directed by the song's co-writer, Doug Fury. Stay tuned for her next single, which we're going to be debuting here on the show as well, and it will be released right away. In 2020, Biff has joined her manager and business partner of 27 years and has started managing and mentoring new recording artists. Biff has also launched her own international company, Mona Lisa Healing, a Canadian organic hemp-based CBD oil company to, as she puts it, heal the world. Mona Lisa Healing is the renaissance of health and is shifting the narrative about CBD, according to Biff, and is unparalleled in the industry. An unforgettable woman, performer, advocate, and activist, and having received an honorary doctorate from the University of the Fraser Valley, a doctor too, Biff Naked leaves everyone feeling like they can accomplish anything and that she will help them do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Biff Naked to the show. Hi. Hi. Oh, good. You're all connected. Oh my gosh. That's great. I'm actually trying to get my, I'm actually harassing Snake, my, my husband, to come get my little puppy who is chewing on my chair legs. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? How are you? Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, it's a thrill to have you on the show. There's a lot of people who are looking forward to seeing you on on our podcast and hearing you, of course. You are awesome. I'm sorry. I just have to get my dog. Come here. Yeah, that's okay. Come, come here. Oh, she is nine months old. This is Ace. Oh, hi, sweetie. <laughs> I know. This is Ace Freely. Oh, I'm great kidding. name. Yeah. There's a well, big, my there's husband a... is a massive Kiss fan. He's a Kiss collector and a Kiss fan, so... Name the dog. Ask. Yeah, this. Hence that, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole place <laughs> is a kiss museum. Have you been doing a lot of the Zoom stuff lately? All year. Yeah. All year long. Yeah, lots of... But, I mean, it's fun. You know, like, I really like... I like the format. I like Zoom a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fun to do interviews where you can actually see somebody. I've seen Kenny yeah. Way. Yeah, I, I've done probably 80% of them on Zoom, and so far awesome. I've really loved it. Oh, good. Over Skype or anything like that? Skype's a little glitchy. Mm. I was using it in the beginning, but it's been a few months now, so we've kind of figured out what works and what doesn't. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done a variety of different things, but Zoom seems to always consistently be the, I guess, just the easiest. Now, the first time I saw you was in the Moist video, believe me. Oh, very good. Yeah, <laughs> lots of now fun. You- and you had done a few different music videos at that time, right? With other bands. Um, I had done, I wound up doing two for Moist. And um, I think by that time we had, I think uh, I had made a video for telling you and daddy's getting married, I think by that time. Oh yeah. Uh, so videos were just kind of starting to um, become something that indie bands were able to do. You know, we would uh, we would apply for grants and, and get a chance to do videos, and it was it was a a great era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. You, you must have known the guys already in Moist, because how did you get cast in the videos? Um, I think that we did shows with them, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, when I was uh, when I first embarked on a solo career, I had come from being in bands. And the bands that I was in had toured across Canada and, and the U.S., uh, but definitely w- would not have crossed paths with Moist. We were in, like, you know, um, punk bands and stuff like that, thrash bands. And so um, yeah. Moist was a big band at the time. They were big stars. And for me as an indie artist and as a female, I was, I was really, uh, really grateful for the chance to play with them on, on Bill's. No kidding. I mean, mm. I was a huge fan as well at that time. Mm. Um, the Silver Album and yeah. Fantastic. It was a really good time in Canadian rock music. And I mean, like you said, you came from more of like the punk side of things. Mm-hmm. So were you enjoying the way things were going at that time for you? Or what about like the record label and all of that? Was was it going all right? Um, well, you know, I only know the experience that I had, which, I, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't, it's not that I took it personally, but I knew because I was a oh, chick that it was gonna be a different experience. Um, we made a record uh, and then the label folded about a week after the record was released and oh, the man. big distribution uh, label didn't want me as an artist so they didn't wanna pick up the record at all. 
and told my manager that I would never get on the radio and that nobody's ever going to listen to a girl with tattoos and to cut his losses and to drop me as an artist and all this stuff. And I think I was like 23 uh, years old and I was ready to just go back to university. I thought, well, that was really cool that I was able to, you know, tour in these bands and that's cool. Um, Mm. But then we just like formed our own record company and started licensing the record in Europe. And the first label that was interested in me was a dance label in Germany. And we wound up going to Germany, but they were distributed by Roadrunner over there. So we toured with Life of Agony in 96 all over Europe. And that opened me up to a whole new audience over there, which was more appropriate for what I wanted to do. And I kind of thought, I don't ever have to come back to Canada. <laughs> this is great. I'm like, this is great. This is like a lot of a lot of bands and a lot of rock bands wound up finding their, I guess, their wings in uh, in Europe and uh, and in Japan and places like that. I mean, Germany at that time too was probably the third largest music market in the world. I mean, it was just such. A, it was amazing. It was amazing times. Embracing rock music over there is the big thing about Europe that I appreciate mm-hmm. so much because no disrespect to Canada or North America in general, but I would think as an artist, I would way rather try to make it in Europe. Well, it was, it was great training rock, ground. Yeah, yeah, it was a great training ground. I mean, being in a punk band in Canada is the best way to get your, uh, get your tour legs, really, because the drives are farther than anywhere else you're ever going to tour in your life probably and and you're probably going to be poor and you're probably going to sleep in a van so I always thought that that was a really good you know learning curve you know so that everything after that seems quite easy and uh, and when you go and uh, do interviews in places where they are very deliberate with what they're asking you. And I wish this for any young artist, uh, go do a press tour uh, some, in some other country because you're going to learn to get your answers really concise and you're going you're gonna to figure it out quickly because you'll either get misquoted or they won't understand what you're saying. You know, you can't. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so it, it was just a really great learning experience. And then when we came back to Canada, we wound up signing with uh, a label here and, and, uh, and then in the States and the rest is history. I mean, I was on, I've been on tour since I was 18. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of like a blessing. Yeah. Like a blessing in disguise that that label folded when it did, because it just changed the tra- trajectory of your path. Absolutely. And you could say that for absolutely everything that happens. I'm a real predestinist. Um, and I, I love that. I love the story of overcoming and I think that all of us overcome something probably every week, really, even if it's a little thing. Mm. And it just makes, especially, especially in the, in the business as a, as a woman, you know, it was a really different experience. And I'm sure that a lot of uh, women either in radio and broadcasting or in acting or in, in uh, music will all say the same thing. It's just, you have to be kind of twice as tough. <laughs> it's a thick skin. I've been blessed to the fact that I've gotten to talk to a lot of wonderful, strong women now on the show who are inspiring to me, like yourself. Um, That's why I'm glad. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, cool. (laughs) I hold you you in very high regard as a role model for women. So what do you think? Oh, bless your heart. What do you think women can do nowadays to lift each other up instead of like catty bullshit and, you know? Yeah. No, like uh, all the, you know, all the mean girl stuff and the catty stuff, I was always kind of oblivious to it. I'm a real, you know, in high school too, I was a real overcompensator. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if the grade nine girls didn't like me, the first thing I'm going to do is go be a, like a total ass kisser. I mean, that's just my nature. You know, I was a class clown and, and that's never changed. I think who we were in the 11th grade is who we are at 30. You know, nothing yeah. really changes. And, uh, and so I think that it lent itself, uh, having that kind of personality. I think for me anyway, it lent itself to uh, developing a good rapport with people over the years and, uh, and just, you know, never taking things personally. Uh, because yeah. especially in music and with touring, more than other women being competitive or 
weird with me. It was always guys. Um, yeah. Always. And, uh, you know, so I threatened. Well, I can't say for sure. But as you know, for a long time, I was the only female on bills uh, that were, you know, rock bills. And, you know, once it was established that I wasn't there to blow anybody, you know, that I was there to, you know, rock. Um, then the animosity began. Yeah, and that was fine. You know, I ne- again, I never took it personally, um, yeah. ever. But it was, it, it definitely was interesting. And now as I'm, you know, older and uh, wanting to manage young artists myself as a manager, you know, I look back on those experiences and I say to young artists, you have to be, you just have to be really resilient, really polite, always, no matter what someone says to you, no matter what they're doing, you know, they can't sabotage your show. They can't, you know, they can't do anything like that. They can't, you know, do anything untoward toward you. Uh, whereas back in the day, it was very different. There was no Me Too movement in the 90s, believe me. Uh, so, you know, girls had to fend for themselves in some of these rock venues and um, it made us tough. It made us really tough and it made us rock really hard. You know, we had, we had no choice but to rock a little harder. No kidding. Now, when writing your memoirs, Ibificus, what was going into the realm of being an author like for you? Had you done writing pr- previously to that? Uh, just lyrics and poetry, you know, and it was yeah. easy to enshroud all of these traumas or, or childhood or adolescent traumas in lyrics that's no problem singing about it no problem because you're you know using lots of metaphors and and people kind of glean their own stuff out of it uh but actually writing the factual stories and the memoirs i mean you know it, i started uh writing it for the purpose of writing a memoir you know and it was not my idea it was my manager's idea of course which is why he's the manager um <laughs> and i just thought you know it was probably because i didn't croak of breast cancer or heart surgery, and that's why he wanted to make sure i got my memoir out because i thought it was a little early um but it was really difficult and it was hard to um truthfully tell those stories um not that I felt I hadn't healed from some of those wounds, but it's embarrassing. It mm-hmm. really is. And, and anyone will tell you whether it's going through cancer or health scare or, or going through trauma and then relaying your trauma. There's part of there's Sure, there's part of it that's empowering to sell, tell your story. But it's also you still have those little pangs of shame that you grew up with and mm-hmm. uh, and they never go away. And even if you think that you're cool. Once you're writing them out, they, they kind of sneak up on you and it gets weird. Uh, but mm. those stories in, in that book are the ones that I was legally allowed to tell. That's what we always say. <laughs> those are the ones that I was allowed to tell. You know, everything else was uh, put aside. But um, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a tattletale or a rat and I am not a grudge holder uh, by any means. And so I, I think that, I think it was a good balance of humor and mm-hmm. uh, and sensitivity in in the telling. It's the first time I'd written anything like that, so it was a, a big undertaking. It was a year to write, and then three years to work with the editor on. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was gonna say when you finally put the last touches to the book and it's ready to go out, it's got to be a different feeling than when you put out an album. It's so different, and it's also it's also because in those three years, lots had happened to me and since then I mean it came out in 2016 that's five years ago my life is so different now and Mm -hmm. uh and things that have occurred in my life I never ever would have seen um you know the the date of publication of that book in 2016 so it makes me laugh now I feel like I could write another book (laughs) well yeah um five years a lot can happen and even in as we all know now what happened in one year (laughs) wild I mean it's like it's a movie we're living in a movie man and it's it's a horror show Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, I'm starting to actually like I'm starting to really try to work more on my mental health now because I kind of just forgot the feeling for the last seven eight months that oh I'm fine I'm fine but you keep saying that but then you're like 
no, I've kind of been by myself for a while now. Maybe I should like get out. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does get weird and it's isolating. And even for introverts, it gets isolating and just things that we don't think about, like, yeah, like grabbing a coffee or, or riding on the bus. Is it, you know, we think it's a solitary activity in a way because we don't talk to anybody. Um, however, that interaction, that human interaction is like, you know, it's, it's how we grew up. It, and now there's going to be, you know, a generation of kids, you know, at this point, it's like, they don't know any different than masks. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, no, it's true. But when things go back to normal, I'm going to really appreciate those small things like going to get a cup of coffee and, you know, That's people right. watching on the bus. It'll, it'll be different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I have a few questions from some of the listeners. Um, oh, this, cool. one's from, this one's from Jonah. Um, he'd like to know what the most influential author you've ever read is. Uh, I would Ooh, have to who? say that is a poet named Irving Layton. And uh, Irving Layton is a Canadian poet. And the first time I read Irving Layton, I was 15 years old. And he was dirty. His poetry was dirty. It was a little bit erotic. And yeah. it was um, it was just, it just, man, it just opened my brain. It split my mind open. And so I've been collecting Irving Layton books. Uh, they're mostly out of print now um, for, yeah, for over 30 years. And, mm. uh, and I just, I just, I just love his writing. I love his writing and his poetry. And definitely he influenced me a lot. Wow. How many works has he put out? I don't know. Like a a couple dozen for sure a few dozen mm. yeah it's nice. like yeah if you if you google Irving Layton or you know any like the Canadian Poets Society or anything you'll find lots of his stuff um but yeah he was the earliest influence on me as a writer and uh continues to be awesome now Kendra wants to know how did the opportunity to be on the L word come to be and what was that experience like um, I don't know how I wound up on the L word. Um, I lived in Vancouver for 30 years and I've always been a member of ACTRA, the acting uh, organization, the acting union. Um, and I did a few acting gigs. I was a theater major in high school and college. So it's kind of what I thought I would be doing yeah. instead of saying I never sang or anything uh, before I went on tour. And um I don't know. Uh, the opportunities that I have gotten have been really nurturing and really cool. And being on the L word was a really amazing experience. Everyone was so nice. And, you know, those sets always have snacks and uh, <laughs> Catering. Just, yeah, it's just really, it's fun, you know, for someone like me who is not used to it, it's really fun. And being on the show was really great. Was that one of those shows that was uh, shot in Vancouver? Yes. Okay. In Hollywood North. Yes. That probably provided you a lot of opportunities to get involved with acting, of course. Yeah. Would you ever, con would you consider taking the Jan Arden route and developing your own show? From your mouth to God's ears. I mean, who wouldn't, you know, and, and, <laughs> and her show's amazing, but it's not surprising because she is hilarious. She's naturally funny. She's gifted. Um, yeah. And, and she's, yeah, she's fantastic. She's a superstar. I, I hope that she, uh, does another show. I think she should have a talk show. I think she should. She oh, could, yeah. She could do anything. She'd be great at doing a talk show. Yeah, really great. My favorite scene, I think, from that show was her and Sarah McLaughlin fighting. Oh, very funny. Yes. <laughs> very funny.
Um, Crystal wants to know if being immersed in the Canadian punk scene, now you had several experiences with SNFU. What is your favorite memory of the late Chai? It's pronounced Chai, right? Yeah. Chai Pig. That's oh right. my gosh, that is like, ugh, it kills me. I have so many pictures of him and I. Um, he was such a, a sweet person. You know, he was, uh, I don't know. It, it, it makes me very, um, I don't know, melancholic, I guess. Um, of course, he, he hasn't been gone that long, but, you know, he, um, gosh, I'm tongue-tied. I loved, I loved Ken. I called him Ken, but Chai is his name. And being able to sing on SNFU records was like the thrill of my lifetime. Like I could have died happy yeah. every time. And I was able to perform with them uh, this song called You Make Me Thick uh, in Edmonton once and that was like that was like the big that was bigger than playing at the billboard awards it was like the biggest ex like thrill of my life it was better than being on the tonight show it was amazing do you remember what what venue you were at in Edmonton? i feel like it was the polish hall but i don't know yeah. if it was um because i get mixed up with all the snfu shows i attended never mind the one i played at but ken was yeah. very very sweet he was uh he was a very sensitive person and to be able to spend time with him, I used to have these two little dogs. Uh, they're, they croak now because they were so old. But he used to walk my dogs with me. And, mm. and he was just a very thoughtful and, um, and sensitive human being. He was a really wonderful person. I hear so many good things about him for all yeah. the people in the Edmonton music scene. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Rest yeah. in peace, man. Yeah. Sure. I'm not, I don't mean to keep things or make things too emotional. That's okay. <laughs> Makes me happy to think about him. I'll always, I always smile when I think about Ken. You got to remember the good. The good. Mm -hmm. And for those like yourselves who, who has dealt with cancer, you are a beacon of light to the, to the rest of us to show us that you can fight this and win. So what got you through those times? Oh, being a goofball. Like there's no, I mean, again, you know, all I know how to do is be a performer and the class clown. Uh, so being in the wards and in the chemo wards and even in the elevator in the cancer center, anything like that, um, you know, I'm always going to make a joke. I'm always going to try and make everybody laugh um, because for me, it's a coping technique. I'm going to make fun of myself. You know, I'm going to call the radiation, my daily tanning bed. I'm going to like, call chemo, you know, my, my juice medicine or whatever, you know, I just always had to make a joke. I never shut up. I'm an elevator talker. And I just talked and talked and talked. I never shut up. Uh, whether it was to the nurses or other patients or to the doctor, I had a great time, you know, prior to being diagnosed with breast cancer, I was on tour with a bunch of stinky dudes, uh, you know, stuck in the back of tour buses and vans you know, listening to their porn or, you know, their <laughs> beer cans being thrown around, you know, for like 20 years. And mm -hmm. to be immersed in a program with other breast cancer patients was the first time I was ever around that many women. And mm -hmm. it was like a sorority. It was amazing. Um, I still have friends from that era. Uh, and, you know, I made a lot of really, really dear friends. That, and we never, ever would have met. Our paths would never have crossed um, had we not gone through chemo together or had we wow. been in the clinical trial together. So it's really, you know, it's meaningful. It's really meaningful. Uh, I never thought I was going to die uh, and I never cared. But I mean, that's how, you know, that's how I, I always say that's how kids like us always think. You know, we, most of us thought we were going to be dead at 30 because we were, you know, we had little shaved heads and romanticized what we thought, that, you know, how old that was going to be. And we, we all kind of assumed that we would have died of misadventure or some other romanticized bullshit we believed. And, <laughs> and the truth is, um, you know, I feel really lucky uh, that I did have an opportunity to, to get treatment and survive. And there's also a lot of survivor's guilt uh, that mm -hmm. I carry and a lot of patients uh, that survive carry around because um, it's not fair. Cancer is never, no, uh, it's never kind. 
But we do have to focus on the fact, too, that it's not always going to be a death sentence for people. They're, they're, you're either, you know, you, you, can, you can win. So Oh, and certainly I, as time yeah. goes on, I mean, the, you know, they dial in the treatments better. They're more individualized. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. And the survival rates are much better than even when I was in treatment. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Keeping things positive. Yeah. <laughs> spaceman, oh spaceman, come rescue me from this calling. Hallelujah, come rescue me. Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We got to pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc, etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, Built Nostalgia has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chinwag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. (laughs) It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Listen up! I'm not here to babysit your panty waist. I'm here to make you better Nintendo players. So what does Mario do here, Mr. Jackson? What? Um, Wrong. You. Wrong. Do a little dance. Wrong. To get better at Nintendo, pick up super secret game kits on packages of Pepsi. Best of all, you can win one of thousands of Super Nintendo Entertainment Systems delivered via Federal Express. Let's talk about the new single, Broken to Your Car, which I absolutely love. Oh, like, good. I love the, the catchy chorus. Good. good hook. Yeah. The, the drums really stood out to me in a great way, too, on the verse and like oh, the pre chorus. I'm so glad. I, yeah. Like it was little nuances I really enjoyed. Very so, cool. The so new single, is it out on the radio yet? Um, or is it out? Again, from your mouth to God's ears, you know, there's only <laughs> a few rock radio stations left in Canada. And the the thing with being me and putting a variety of styles on my records over the years, um, you know, some of them are too pop for rock radio and some of them are too 
rock for pop radio. And yeah. that's always been the way it's been with me. And that's cool. Um, you know, when we uh, started making Champion a year ago, we just really, you know, didn't really give a shit about anything. We just wanted to make these songs um, that like made us happy. And um, we had our first three singles um, earmarked right away because I'm an order person. It has to go in this order. I want people to hear the songs in this order because we grew up listening to records from the album experience from beginning to end. And, yeah. you know, if you just throw up your, your stuff, uh, I, I always think people cherry pick or they only get the song that they want or whatever the case. And they don't even hear the other songs sometimes. So mm -hmm. what we really wanted to do is release Jim last year, which we did. And Broken Your Car was supposed to be released in the summer of last year. But um, I just felt uh, that, you know, my song was, did, not, did not need to get out last summer. If there are other issues going on in the world that needed amplification. Definitely not a, a Biff Naked song. You know, I was like, no, um, there's other things that are more important. And so we waited. And so we were gonna put it out on New Year's. And that's what we did. And, uh, and it's a fun song. It's just so much fun. And it's different from every other song on the we record. We need this. We needed this song. We need a song like this right oh, now. Oh, good. You know, it's uplifting. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's a love as song. As much as you might think the world didn't need it. We do, we do. Yeah. Now, um, did you do any of the recording for Champion during the year? And did they, uh, Yes, did they, and we've been they... able to tinker with everything because we wound up waiting instead of putting it out last mm. summer. Um, and so we have tinkered with it a little. There's a couple songs that I wanted to uh, revisit anyway. Because uh, they they mean a lot to us. It's hard not to get attached uh, to some of these songs. And I haven't put a I mean I have not put a record out in like nine years. Uh, I can't I, believe it's been that long. Yeah, you know, I'm just busy doing other things. The book came out, and then we yeah. uh, did acoustic record that came out, and we toured uh, doing acoustic and book tour shows for a couple of years, doing a few national tours, and so it's you know, it's the timing is uh, really nice. It's, it's nice for me to be able to work with Doug and Snake on these songs. And um, yeah, we've got a thrash song. We've got a, you know, metal song, rock songs. We've got some really sad ballads, which I always love. And, yeah. uh, and then of course, a, a dancey song like Broken Your Car. I want you to know it might seem unseemly 
challenges did COVID present in the recording process? Do you have your own studio set up at home kind of thing? We or do, did you have to... we do. And, yeah. uh, and Doug has his own studio in London. We were able previously to go back and forth and now we have to do everything in the Pro Tools cloud and over FaceTime. So now it's presenting a problem because we're in lockdown in Ontario. Um, yeah. But that's cool. You know, that's okay because we can, we still love to do the work. I mean, songwriting is, it's fun. It's a, it's a good problem to have if we're, you know, trying to figure out how to lift the bridge or whatever. It's a good problem to have. It's really good. It's yeah. like making a, a puzzle in a way. I'd be sitting there just mind blown at the fact that you could even do that remotely. I would just be like, wow, this sounds just as good. Like, <laughs> yeah, technology is amazing. Yeah. What album track of all the year, over all the years, did you ever wish would have been a single that wasn't, that oh, was a boy. deep cut? Give me a deep cut. <laughs> wow. There's so, I have to laugh at some of these songs. I really like this one song called Religion. Uh, and they're always the end of records. There's, there's a song called Religion and there's a song called Welcome to the End. Yeah. Um, that is, I'm really fond of those songs. Uh, there's another one called Hold On that I always wish that some country artist would have covered instead of me singing it because I think it would have been a better song with somebody else doing it. And I feel that way about a lot of the songs. So I always say if anyone wants to cover a song, go for it. Um, but yeah, nice. there's a lot of songs that, I mean, and I'm sure everybody feels that way. from being grown up in Winnipeg to living in Vancouver for 30 years and then what brought you out to Toronto? Um, well I got married in 2016 to my guitar player Snake and um, you know we had been spending a lot of time it's like it's such a funny story we've been spending a lot of time in Paris France and um, you know he he wanted to move there and yeah. our life there is very different than it was here you know we could basically be happy living on bread and water and it's such a walk Paris such a walkable city it's just like it's just so different overseas and so I said well you know if you give me a year in Montreal then we'll consider it you know and uh and we were gonna probably move to Montreal uh parce que you know the Belle Provence <laughs> you know all the good things about it and it's inexpensive compared to Vancouver um but we flipped a coin and wound up coming to Toronto instead and loved it and loved it here. We yeah. love it here. I mean, it's just been so much fun. We are, we BMX every summer. 
and uh, just oh, cool. street, we just street ride. Um, but in the neighborhood that we live in, in, in South Etobicoke, there's a lot of like chop shops. There's a lot of like, there's a history of like mob crime. There's just like so much <laughs> wow. stuff. All we do is go into back lanes and like, yeah, I'll bet you there was a, there's a mob people in that, in that garage. And, you know, just, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun being here. You were spending a lot of time in New Delhi as well, right? Uh, as over Paris the year, well. over the years, yeah, you know, but it's expensive to to fly, and it's yeah. you know my 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 home is here. I've made it a home in North America, and my career, you know, I I love in Canada. Yeah, cheers to Canada. Yes, <laughs> yeah. See, I I mean Edmonton's home. I was born and raised here, but oh, the more cool. I travel. I, I just, I, I fall in love with all these other places and I'm yeah. like, why doesn't, why can't Edmonton be like this? But then you come home and you realize why you're here. Yes. Edmonton's <laughs> a great city. Great city. Community, family. Yes. That's, and the music scene here is pretty tight too. It's so. amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. I've been playing, first time I played in Edmonton uh, was 1989. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Great memories. Yeah. I saw you play Boonstock, the festival just outside. Oh, wow. That's probably been 10 years now, I think. Amazing. Loads of fun. So much fun. I think Sick had just come out. Yes. Around that time. Yep. It was a sweet show. I learned a lot from you as a front woman. Oh, cool. I loved it. Very cool. I want to talk about your tattoos. Now, do you, have you designed any of them yourself? Um... I have to think about it. Have I designed any of them? Well, I, um, yeah, when my dogs died, I drew their pictures uh, yeah. and had those tattooed. And then my, um, my husband doodles on all of my books, all my like calendar books and stuff like that. My journals, he'll draw a, do- a doodle, which is mm-hmm. just a cartoon, him giving me the finger or a knife or something like that. And so I've tattooed that stuff on me too. But um, mostly, you know, over the years, it's whatever I'm into at the time, you know, if I'm really affected by something, I would wound up wanting to get uh, some either symbolism or a word tattooed on me. And that's just kind of how I've, how I've always rolled over the years. I studied Taoism, I studied Buddhism, and of course had a, had a deep, uh, connection with yoga hinduism and uh of course yeah. Hare krishna and i mean yeah i just i i just have always loved tattoos and they just kind of play a part in telling your story throughout your life i imagine i guess so it's kind of like yeah it's kind of like recording your stories in your skin yeah mm-hmm. i don't even have a tattoo but i always want to know what everybody else's tattoos mean to them oh very cool very cool i'm just too scared i would love to get more <laughs> i would love to get more but you know now that i'm getting a little older it's like funny uh the tattoo artist i worked with on this ganesh i have on the side of my ribs he i kept telling him you know my elbow i should get my elbows done and my knees done and he just kind of said well you know old skin doesn't necessarily behave the same way <laughs> and i thought what yeah i guess that's very true i mean our elbow skin is super tough and maybe as you get older it gets just like tougher i don't know but i never think about uh, uh putting lotion on my elbows actually no it's probably a good idea. <laughs> i always say when people say what advice do you have for young women i always say sunscreen on your hands for god's sake sunscreen on the hands so you don't wind up with witch Always. hands because all of us generation x girls will have hands like witches you know because we're just out in the sun so it's funny and then you gotta try and get them tattooed to, you know camouflage that confuse and distract i always say but <laughs> but then really you know i have a buddy who had their hand tattooed with the face of their cat and their hand swelled up like a baseball mitt right after the tattoo yeah for days and days and i was like yeah no no 
Yeah, no, I just no, 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 <laughs> no, no. It's not the. Spot. I do dishes, man. I do dishes in my home. It's like, what would happen? You know, my my hand would always be wet. What would it rot? Like, no, I can't. Yeah, no. It so would probably like start to like bleed. The color would probably start to bleed over time. Something, something, something not would blood, go. But something like would color. go amiss. Yeah, it would fade out <laughs> like microblading. I haven't tried that, but I've been tempted. But I'm like. You have to go to the right person. <laughs> I've got good person. natural eyebrows. You're so lucky. You're lucky. Yeah, I count my blessings. I'm okay with that. Cool. <laughs> Was it difficult for you to go vegan? No, I've been vegan so long, I can't even remember. Um, yeah. And I always will be. I've never married one. And I'm on my third husband. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that for me, it just was something that uh, I really wanted to lean into when I was in my early 20s. And it kind of went hand in hand with being straight edge. Um, you know, I, you, we evolve uh, mm -hmm. as we get older, you know, as we get educated, as we learn more about something. And so definitely um, the, the way I'm vegan now is different from when I was 22. Um, yeah. Well, so hopefully, well, I, when I was 22, I would still wear, you know, Nikes. I would still wear, um, you know, cowboy boots on stage, right. you know, and now I wouldn't buy cowboy boots because they're leather or I would like yeah. go out of my way to try and buy something that was vegan. And back then also that stuff wasn't available. That's right. That's Not true. really. You know, it was really hard to find. Um, mm -hmm. And now it's very prevalent everywhere. Um, you know, th things are vegan that are fashion, high fashion, even there's makeup that's vegan and cruelty free. And that wasn't uh, available, you know, when we were young women. So things have yeah. changed a lot. It's very easy now. It's easy for people to be vegan. Yeah, it's very easy. But um, what I always hear from people is that's the, one of the reasons they don't do it is because I think it would be so hard to plan your meals and all of that. But why are I they think... chefs are these people chefs <laughs> like really is it hard now I don't know I never tell anybody um how to eat ever I just do what I do and for a long time I was a raw food vegan uh so I've never eaten vegan uh like vegan fake meat or vegan hot dogs and stuff like that I never yeah. ate it because we couldn't afford it and it's expensive yeah. and that's still expensive now yeah. um you know being on tour for so many years I could guarantee myself I could get a banana. I could get oranges after the show. Mm -hmm. um, and I could eat apples throughout the day. I could somehow find a salad, even if it was a Subway salad with nothing on it. And that's mm -hmm. basically how I existed for years and years and years and years uh, mm -hmm. until I was finally home long enough, which was during my cancer treatment. And all I wanted to eat when I was going through chemo was rice. All yeah. I wanted was rice, cooked rice. That's all I wanted. That and yams. And mm. living in Vancouver, I could get, you know, yam rolls. So it was like, you know, it, it changed my diet in that I stopped being a raw food vegan and started being a vegan that eats rice and, yeah. and chickpeas, you know, and stuff like that. And, and had Oh, there's so much you can do with chickpeas. I love chickpeas. They're probably my favorite food. I mean, my little dog loves chickpeas too. Um, yeah, I, I, I love, I love uh, cooking. And, uh, and I think it's, I mean, of course, in my eyes, it's really easy for anybody to go vegan, especially now because they have so many fake meats. Um, yeah. But it's not, it, it's not cheap. And so, and that doesn't make sense for most people. It's expensive. Vegetables you know, are so expensive in general. They are. Like, they are for sure. And so yeah. it's it's hard to eat uh, seasonal and local sometimes, especially if you live in a remote place or where it's not prevalent. Um, you just got to do, do the best a, you can. Do you have a gardening area? No. I live in an apartment. And, yeah. uh, and we wanted, we chose an apartment because Snake didn't want to have like a yard and we didn't want to really be on the ground floor. We liked being in the tower and it was great. But I think now we're starting to outgrow it now that we have a, a, a dog and uh, we someday we'll, we always say someday we'll get a house, but I can't imagine when and where that's going to be. 
What's your favorite dish to cook? Oh, wow. I, I love making Indian food. Uh, so I would, I mean, for me, it's going to be like eggplant always. I love eggplants. My favorite food. A lot of people say you, you can't eat nightshades. And it's like, um, that's all I eat. <laughs> zucchinis. <laughs> I love zucchinis. I love tomatoes. I love eggplants. Um, but I would, yeah, I, I love making Indian food. So it, any vegetable possible, I'm going to make it into a curry. <laughs> Cool, cool. I'd love to learn to cook Indian food. Oh, it's easy. And now with uh, with uh, all the internet searches, anyone can make anything. There, it's so yeah. easy now. From the shows and the TV appearances and the concerts you did um, back in the '90s, um, much music. Who are some of your favorite hosts and shows to visit? Oh my gosh, I mean everything. Like Sukien was. I mean, she was one of our heroes. She was an idol for sure. Uh, yeah. Teresa was because she did the metal oh, show. Yeah. Um, and that was like, you know, she was a, a woman doing the metal show. And this is after Dan Gallagher, who was like power hour. We used to run home and watch it. Uh, but Master T, you know, still um, is a hero. And uh, I don't know, Jen Hollett. And there's just so many, there's just so many obviously Rick the Temp, you know, yeah. just, yeah, it was, uh, kids today, they don't know. They just don't <laughs> know how cool it was. The and, power and it was of the amazing. VJ. It was amazing. You know, they really were our heroes and we looked up to them and we watched them and adored them. Uh, I, I also have to say Monica Diol, um, mm. you know, for us, she was a supermodel and electric Gorgeous. circus was, yeah, just like, we all grew up on that stuff and uh and yeah it was very serendipitous times um i spoke to erica m for the show <sighs> and uh did you know about her new podcast the reinvention of the d of the vj oh cool that yeah. was she talks to she, each week she talks to one of the vjs that were oh, at that's much, awesome so oh i have to check that i recommend out. it very cool <laughs> what was your favorite music video of yours to make well, we're not going to take it. Uh, yeah. Was a remake of the Twisted Sister song, and mm -hmm. we were able to shoot a video um, with uh, the guys from the Ready to Rumble movie. So Sting, the wrestler, um, yeah, there's uh, he was like for us, he was like the the champ, the hero. Um, That's David cool. Arquette, Scott Con. You know, it was just like yeah, it was so much fun. It was just so much fun to do that. I'm going to have to go watch that again. It was so fun. It. it was just <laughs> insane. It was so much fun. Have you always felt like you were a natural stage performer or did you get stage fright at any point in your career? Uh, I still get stage fright. I think yeah. when I first did my first tour after chemo uh, was the worst. I was ready to quit altogether. I was just completely uh, a shell of who I was. I was embarrassed every show. Um, I just, I, I had really short hair and a lot of women that I knew anyway, who are going through breast cancer treatment, like me, put on 30 pounds, uh, during chemo as a result of just a variety of things as you know, your hormones change, you're thrown into menopause. I was only 35, 36. Um, so it was a big change and I was anorexic before that. So it was a big change and I looked very different in my opinion, uh, and then the short hair and uh, it just was really, I just felt embarrassed every show. I just felt embarrassed. So it was just, ugh, it was so hard. Um, but eventually, you know, I just, I guess I just got used to it and, and kind of uh, got over it, you know, and, uh, and just got into touring again, but it took a really long time for me to be comfortable. I was just, I was like, yeah, it was That's really, when I when I got to see you live was when you had the short hair and you had just completed like, like I'd say within the last five years before that was when you completed treatment, but it was mm -hmm. like, I, I wouldn't have known that you felt that way because oh, was, like I said, it was terrible. And it went on for years. And, and a lot of ladies will tell you this, maybe guys too with, with cancer, I'm not sure, but it, it takes years. Even if your chemo is done, uh, then you still have radiation. And then when that's done, Maybe you're still on uh, 
biological infusion or maybe like me, then you suddenly have to get an ovarectomy, you know, a year and a half later. And then you're in like absolute menopause and then you deal with menopause stuff, which is weird. See that? Um, Yeah, it's weird. That would probably throw your emotions for a loop too. It was right. It changes your. It was just, but you know, like you're on stage or in front of people, you can't really, I mean, at the time anyway, and I've always been that kind of performer that no matter what was going on for me backstage or back home or in real life, the -hmm. stage was still the stage because that was just our generation. And that's just how it was. And it was all about the mosh pit. And it was all about, you know, rocking. And for me, it was all about being able to hit my notes. Chemo changed my voice a lot. And I could really? not sing properly for, I mean, it seems to me now it's like for years, but it was a long time where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't sing right. Uh, but eventually it just, yeah, eventually you get, you get through it. You feel like it came back to you where it needed to be again? Oh, like, definitely. Hopefully. Oh, definitely. Yes. Because there's a lot of times where we think that we don't sound good, but we, to other people, we sound good, but it's just how it feels in your own throat and body. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, when I saw you also, like you still commanded that stage and you looked strong, you looked good and you just, you. you need to know you were awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It was the, it was a, an amazing time. It was a very powerful time in my life. I'm glad that you saw that show. Absolutely. Um, A concert that you've seen that changed your life that you've been to. I would say Bad Brains at CBGB's 2006 with John Joseph from uh, Cro-Mag singing. What a venue too. It was amazing. It was amazing. And it's better to see a show there. Well, I mean, I can say that now. I was like, better to see a show than play there. But yeah, I was just uh, an amazing band. So it was, yeah, it was a pretty, a pretty life altering show. You've got to have a lot of really cool experiences. And I'm so glad that you've shared so much with me today. And Thank I want to uh, ask for the last question, what food item, clothing item, toy, anything makes you nostalgic for the nineties? Oh, wow. So many things. Oh my gosh. Doc Martens. Yeah, you know, Doc Martens were like, I always wanted Docs when I was young, and we couldn't afford them. Um, And now, of course, they make vegan Docs. So, you know, everyone can have those, uh, those burgundy Doc eight holes or 10 holes. Um, It's cool. You know, they're they're always going to remind me of, of that era of that, that era for sure. I love docs. Yeah, well, me too. What a good choice. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's meant so much to me that you took the time to talk today. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Yeah. Your show's amazing. Thank you. You're a hero to me. So I, I wish you all the best. Thank you. All right. Well, have a wonderful night. Thanks for staying up late for me. No problem. <laughs> Stay safe and healthy. You too. Hope right. I see you soon. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. Bye. Ten more sleeps and it's gonna be next Thursday Bet my money on a winning horse for sure Star, writer, speaker, 
humanitarian Biff Naked. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, you can catch everything she's doing at BiffNaked.com. The release of Champion coming very soon, her brand new album. And I was happy to be able to play the whole new single, Broken to Your Car, right here on the show. Next week, my friend Dahlia Wakefield is going to be joining me to discuss one of the greatest bands of all time, a female-fronted band, and everything that they did in the 90s. We're going to be talking about Heart. She is the lead singer of a Heart cover band as well. So, Daly is amazing, and we're going to have a great time. And you guys, can't wait to see you guys again. Make sure you guys give us a call. All the social media links coming right up from Charlie here. You guys take care. Hey, kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaDope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.